0: Well, this morning as we continue our uh, series on the Ten Commandments, or I like to think of it as the ten words that God revealed, um, it's really important to to think about the context of the story of God's revelation. And I, I think it's been really good for me, and I think I've heard from uh, many of you that going through the Ten Commandments, we have we have some... Thoughts about that and some presuppositions about what that means, and so it's so good to go back and understand the heart of God behind these commandments. You know, there's some words that we use that get overused, or maybe we uh, get so familiar with it we just hear the words and they just go by past us, and we don't give them full consideration. We don't really understand the gravity or the gravitas of what they really mean. And there's a story in. Uh, Exodus 33, where Moses, having received the ten words, the ten commandments from God, and he's before God, and remember the mountain is trembling. There's thunder, there's lightning, and the people are, are afraid there's dread because they see the power and the glory of God. And, it, and what does Moses say? He says, Lord, show me your glory. And there he is on the mountain, and, and, and he sees the greatness of God. And then God passes in front of him, and it says, all the goodness of God goes past him. And so there's, there's two words I think we, we, we hear a lot, like great and good. But God redefines those words. So everything we think is great or good pales in comparison. When we think about God, His greatness, His goodness— And it says, Moses was speechless before the glory of God. And so as we come and and as we come to worship, we have to be reminded of of God's greatness and His goodness. And the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments invite us to center all of life around God— The first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. That God alone is good. God alone is great. That He alone is worthy. And that in Him is the ordering of all reality. So everything that we long for, everything we desire, everything we love, is ultimately pointing us towards God. Because He alone is the source of all that is good, all that is great. And so... The Ten Words invite us to center our lives and to center the whole world around God. And the the greatest danger to the human condition is that we would replace that place with anything besides God. And we sang about that, right? That temptation for idolatry. And so there's a worship battle over our hearts. And so the Ten Commandments reminds us of, of the reality of God and the reality that we find life in Him and in nothing else. That's what we sang this morning, that He is better than anything else. And it's a story. It's a story of rescue. Remember, uh, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God was concerned about them. And in His love, and His compassion, and His goodness, and His greatness, He stepped in. And he rescued them and he defeated evil like he showed his greatness and his power over all the other gods. All the gods that the Egyptians worship. he showed his greater power and he defeated evil. He defeated the darkness and the slavery that people experienced. And he rescued them and he brought them to a place of freedom, a place of worship, a place of life. And the story is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're here as worshipers of Jesus Christ because the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words is a covenant that leads us to Jesus. And aren't you thankful for that? I'm so thankful for that. And we're going to celebrate communion at the end of this time together because the Ten Commandments without Jesus would only lead us to despair because we cannot keep them on our own. God knew that. And so he provided a sacrifice. And we're going to Take this series all the way up to Easter and we're going to celebrate at Easter time the Day of Atonement, the reality that God steps into the story and rescues us once and for all. That Jesus was a sacrifice once and for all to pay for all the darkness, all the sin that we struggle with. All the idolatry, all the brokenness of our world was paid for once and for all. That God, He made a way. (laughs) He made a way so that we can be free. Praise God. Praise God. So we're going to be in Exodus 20, verse 16 this morning. I know we've uh, jumped around a little bit as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, and we've done that intentionally to follow Jesus' teaching on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's not just been us picking and choosing; it's been really looking at how did Jesus teach us about the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning we're going to look at Exodus 20, verse 16. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open it to there. We can follow on the screen. And this is what it says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So last week, um, Nick led us to look at the final commandment on coveting and, and how that's related to stealing. And if coveting is, is the culmination of all these words about the human relationship, it, it really points to the, the battle over desire. The battle over desire in our hearts. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? It says they saw the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one tree they weren't supposed to eat from. In fact, God said you're free to eat of every other tree. See, God's a God of freedom. <laughs> he created everything. He said enjoy it. Delight in it. But just don't touch that tree because it's dangerous. It will kill you. But remember, they desired the fruit. So desire, coveting, that desire in our hearts that would war against God and war against others is the greatest danger. And so um, as we look at this commandment about giving false testimony, now I want to look at these words because these aren't words we use a lot, um, giving false testimony. And we substitute that with the idea of lying. And I think this commandment is about lying. But we need to see the reality that, that God is truth. So if all the commandments, if all the words that are revealed to us in the covenant are founded on the reality of God, then God is true. He is truth and He cannot lie. The Bible says that to us over and over, that God is the definition of truth. He is truth. And we are made in his likeness. We are made in his image. And so as people made in the image of God, men and women, we are created to be truth tellers because he is a truthful God. But we know the, the lie in the garden with Adam and Eve was the serpent who said, hey, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. You're going to be in a sense free from God. And and in one sense, be like your own gods. And so the question, the deceptive question, was did God really say? And the serpent is still speaking that question to us today. (laughs) Did God really say? You see, Satan questions the truthfulness of God. And that is the great lie, the great deception over all of us. It's the greatest temptation, is that we would question the goodness and the greatness of our God, of who He is. And so as image bearers, God wants to rescue us from this lie. I want to look at uh, John chapter 8 real briefly before we, we dig a little deeper into what does it mean to give false testimony against our neighbor. In John 8, we have this fascinating encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees. And, uh, and, and there was always a struggle with Jesus and, and the religious leaders of his day, because he challenged them and their, their presuppositions about God, and about what God's intention was in giving us the Ten Commandments. And they also questioned his truthfulness, because in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am, I am... The bread of life. And he tells them that in a sense, uh, at the end of chapter 8, that he, before Abraham, I am. And they understood that it was a claim to divinity. They understood that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one. And so there's this struggle. And then in verse 42 of chapter 8, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, because they're arguing that they understand who God is, and Jesus is saying, you don't, he said, you would love me. For I have come here from God. So Jesus is saying, I am God's representative. I am come to reveal to you who God is. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. This is why my language, why is my, my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And by the way, Jesus, Jesus was very kind, but he was very to the point. <laughs> and this is why he offended them so much. He said, you belong to your father, The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Wow. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is the same serpent who question God in the garden. The same accuser that the Bible talks about that accuses us, that lies to us every day. Every day we hear the lies of this serpent, of this Satan. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? So here's the, here's the question. Who will we listen to? Will we listen to God? Or will we listen to the serpent? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow. So Jesus speaks strongly. He speaks directly about the human condition. And this is the struggle for all of us is is who will we listen to, right? Right? Who will we listen to? Will we listen to God? Will we listen to Jesus? And so this question of the lie is a deep one and it's one that we all have to wrestle with. There's there's no one who doesn't wrestle with this reality of deception and what is truth and what is a lie. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to give false testimony. Now we know this maybe in a legal way, and, and there is a legal aspect to what is being talked about in the commandment. But it's not limited to that. It's, it's not limited to that. I think this relates to all of our human relationship, all our human interactions, one with another. And so we know this uh, as perjury when you give false testimony in a court of law, right? And that's a serious crime. We know it's serious because— if there is a false testimony in a court, then justice cannot be carried out, right? We take oaths before we stand up and give as a witness in a courtroom, because we understand the seriousness of it. We understand the seriousness of truth-telling in the court of law, but it's so much more than that. In human relationships, we know this as being as lying or being deceitful, many times for our personal benefit or trying to harm someone else. Now, I don't know how many parents are here. Did, did you teach your kids to lie? <laughs> Where do they get that? <laughs> Where do they get that? It's in all of us, isn't it? We have that tendency to lie, to deceive. One of my earliest memories of my childhood, uh, for a while we lived in Los Angeles, and uh, my dad was a, a sheriff there, and um, and I remember I, I I don't remember how old I was, but I remember exactly what the room looked like. I remember the situation, and I had something that my parents told me I shouldn't have, and I wanted it, and I had it behind my back. And my dad came and said, Ben, do you have this thing? And I don't even remember what it was, but I remember specifically, consciously saying, no, I don't know where it is, even though I was holding it. Where does that come from? And we see it in all of us, that tendency... lie. But it's not just that. That is what this commandment is talking about, but it's so much more. What about false accusations against someone else? The Bible talks a lot about that. In fact, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. But how many times in our human relationships do we accuse others falsely? And we see it everywhere in our society, right? But it goes beyond that. Jesus talked a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about condemning or judging other people, being judges of others. And that's a, that's a form of false witness. It's not our place, Jesus says, to judge another person, right? What about slander or gossip? Those are all forms of, of lying, of bearing false witness. Speaking about others in ways that we were never intended to speak about them. Or having motives or expectations that differ from what you present or communicate. This is a, this is a big one, right? So there, there's desires, there's things we're we're going after that we want, but we we put a false image, we put a false understanding. Over the last year, we've we've watched in the evangelical church many. Uh, leaders and and respected pastors, things get exposed about them because they presented themselves in one way, but secretly they were engaged in activities that were very different from what they communicated. The Bible talks about this as as a, a form of giving false witness. And the Bible warns us against false teachers. Giving a false impression through exaggeration or flattery. That's a form of bearing false witness. It's a form of lying. Jesus talked a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when you, when you use exaggerating language or superlatives to try to puff yourself up or, or puff up a situation, or you swear on something greater than yourself to try to, to make yourself greater than you really are, then that's a form of bearing false witness. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Speak plainly. Speak simply. But at the root of all of it, if I really examine it in my own heart, and, in, and I look at what's happening in our world, because, boy, people are talking a lot about this these days, right? It's in the, when we talk about the media and what's happening in our culture, it's like, what is truth, right? People are asking, what is truth? Because there's so much deception, so much bearing false witness. What's at the heart of it? As a family, we're, we're going through the book of James, and, uh, and it, this really struck me this week. In James 3, verse 16, he says, For where you have envy and selfish, selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. Envy and selfish ambition. So why do we lie? <laughs> why do we do those things like gossip and slander and, and accuse people and give false impressions and flattery? Why, why do we do it? Because usually there's some kind of selfish motivation at the core. There's something we want, and we want to take it. We want to get it, and we'll do whatever we have to to try to get it. And James calls this selfish ambition. And what does he say the fruit of that is? Disorder. Evil. And this is the situation we find ourselves in, is it not? <laughs> Why is there so much disorder in our world? Why is there so much Evil started with a lie, and it continues to propagate with a lie. So we know, we know it's wrong. We know it deep in our souls that this is wrong. Oh, how we need the mercy of God. And this is why we need the Ten Commandments. This is why we need the Ten Words. Not to condemn us, but to understand what sin is, as it says in Romans 7. And that we might receive the grace of God. God wants to transform us. He wants to change this world. He wants us to be able to honor others above ourselves. And so if we think about God being truth (laughs) and God as truth, what does he do? He, He gives himself. There's no selfish ambition in God. Rather, he uses all the resources, all the greatness, all the power, everything he has, he gives freely and abundantly and he gives generously of everything that he is and all that he is, because he reflects honoring of others. He reflects the love for others, that all of us long for, we all long to be loved. And the Ten Commandments reveal that God wants the world ordered in this kind of way. In Matthew chapter seven, verse seven through 12 um, This, I believe, is Jesus' clearest clearest teaching on this commandment of bearing false witness. But a lot of times we don't understand it this way, because many times we think about this teaching as about prayer. And I think there is an aspect of prayer here, but, but in the context of Matthew chapter 7, he's talking about our human relationships. Because that's the issue, is how can we truly live in the design that God has for us to truly love one another, to truly honor one another, to have relationships that are a blessing. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, the one who seeks finds. And for the one who knocks, the door will be open. What's he talking about? He's talking about how we relate to one another. And he's inviting us to relate to one another in such a way that there's no deception. There's no bearing false witness. Rather, we present ourselves honestly. If we have a desire, if there's something that's in us, we are to express it openly. He says, seek, right? Knock, let it be known, don't hide, (laughs) Don't, don't try to present something false. Be authentic. Be truthful in who you are and pr- how you present yourselves to others. And the fruit of that is an open door. <laughs> it's finding. It's experiencing the abundance of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. And so this is the way that we begin to, begin to find the beauty of our human relationships, what we really long for. Connection, you know, it's so interesting. I was I was hearing someone on the radio talk about um, human connection, especially in the in in a marriage relationship between a man and wife, and 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 the key that they were talking about is, is being vulnerable. <laughs> that you can't really know each other until you're you're vulnerable, until you really share your desires and what's inside of you, right? Because it's hard to get there, right? <laughs> it's so much easier just to stay on the surface, just to kind of say everything's fine, everything's good, and just kind of ignore those deeper things. But, but Jesus says we need to knock, we need to seek, we need to, to, to open up our hearts and our lives to experience real relationship. We have to be honest, truthful with one another. And then he says in verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, we often think about this about in the prayer, and I think it is about prayer because God gives good gifts. God is good. He wants to give what we need. But in the context of human relationship, if we're open with one another, with what we really are looking for, if we're honest with one another— then the the response that we need to give to one another is generosity. We need to give. We need to be the kind of people that aren't just looking to take from people, but the kind of people who give to one another just like our Father gives, just like God gives. And so what Jesus is saying, this is basically the Ten Commandments of what God's design is, is, is life is centered on God in all of his goodness and his greatness and the life that he alone can give us, that out of that we can be the kind of people who can give to others. We're the kind of people who can be generous and share, just like a parent with their child who gives the best, the best of what they can give. And so in everything, Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. (laughs) You see, the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words is, is so simple. It's about loving God and loving others. And love is defined as giving or doing unto others. Isn't that beautiful? It's so simple, but so profound. So if we understand that the lie finds its root in our hearts when there is a selfish ambition, when there's a selfish motive, then the invitation that Jesus gives us is what he alone provided for us in self-sacrifice, in giving of himself for the benefit of others. He invites us to live that way, to present our needs and our desires honestly, to give generously, but also to live unselfishly, to give to others. And you know what this creates? This creates something called trust. 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 It's a simple word, but it's a powerful word. In fact, it's the most powerful thing for human relationships to flourish. Whether it's in your family, whether it's as a church, or in our community, or in our nation, trust is one of the most powerful forces that God can create in us for good. There's an a, a article in Forbes that I read, and it's been really interesting to see what's happened as economic, Um, economists look at economies and kind of how social networks uh, work and how businesses flourish. What they keep coming back to over and over in all their research is that trust is foundational. And this is what um, this article said in Forbes. There's just a few elemental forces that hold our world together. The There's the one that the glue of society is called trust. So the glue that holds society together is trust. Its presence cements relationships by allowing people to live, work together, feel safe, to belong to a group, to trust in leaders and organizations and communities to flourish. With the absence of trust, there's only fragmentation, conflict, and war. That's why we need to trust our leaders, our family members, our friends, and our co-workers, coworkers, even though this is an different ways. So I don't know if this man is a believer or knows God, but what he says is true. And it's what the Ten Commandments is inviting us to consider. And what God alone can create for us is that he wants to transform us into the kind of people that can be trustworthy. The kind of people who won't bear false witness against our neighbor. Rather, the kind of people who can give others the, 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 the confidence to trust. So we have a problem, right? Like Adam and Eve, we tend towards deception. We tend towards lie. And we see it in ourselves. I see it in me. And so this is why Jesus came into the world. He came to set us free from the old and to give us the new. He came to make us into new kinds of people. Trustworthy kind of people. On our own, Romans 3 says, All men are liars. All of us have struggled with lying, with deception. But God is faithful. Romans 3, all men are liars, but God is faithful. Aren't you glad God is faithful this morning? (laughs) Will you worship him with me, that he is faithful? That even though we are deceptive, God is not. He is a truth teller. And because He is truthful, He was willing to step into our mess and to bring goodness, to bring trust into our world. Think about it with me. Jesus was falsely accused, He was slandered against, He was gossiped against. His own disciples denied that they even knew Him. Remember? Peter lied. He he gave false witness. He's like, I don't even know that guy. Jesus was the victim of the greatest deception and trial ever, right? They set up a sham trial. They tried him. Pilate knew it was injustice. He washed his hands of it. He says, this man is innocent. But yet he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. He was beaten brutally. He was cursed at. He was called names. He was mocked. And yet, how did he respond? (laughs) You see... He stepped into the reality of deception. He stepped into our world. Jeremiah says the human heart is deceptive above all else. This is why, dear brothers and sisters, why we cannot find our identity in ourselves. We cannot look within and find truth. Our culture says look within, but but the Bible says we cannot because there's only deception in there. There's only falsehood in there. We need God. (laughs) That's why Jesus came to set us free. It came from without. It's a gift of grace. And what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And he laid down his life to bring about forgiveness of sin. You see what Jesus did on the cross? He created trust. He created trust. He created the possibility of trust in our world. And it started with God. God is faithful, He is trustworthy. And as we put our trust in Him, something begins to change in our hearts, and we become the kind of people that He intended us to be. In Galatians 2, 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live by faith. By faith, that's trust. We place our trust in God. We, we hear what He says. We see what He did on the cross, and we say, God, I give you my life. And I love what it, what, and it says in Acts. That we are witnesses of this. That he has given us power to be witnesses of this reality. We have experienced trust. And because of that, God makes us into new kinds of people. Because I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And because he gave himself for me, I can give myself to others. I can give myself to my wife. I can give myself to my kids. I can give myself to my community, to my church. Because I have trust in God. Jesus told a powerful story about this because he wanted to get our attention. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, a teacher of the law in Act Luke 10, it said, A teacher of law stood up to test him. This is bearing false witness. <laughs> this guy wants to trap Jesus. He wants to catch Jesus saying something wrong. He said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This, this, is, this is the Ten Commandments. It's an invitation to center our lives on God. It's the desire that is greatest in us is ultimately for God. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. <laughs> but He wanted to justify Himself. Remember? false witness, lying. It starts with selfish motives, selfish ambition. This man, he was just thinking about himself. He needed what Jesus alone could give. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus is saying, in this story, and you know the story of the Good Samaritan, he's telling us the power of what Jesus came to do on the cross. He came to change our world, to change our relationships, to change how we relate to one another. And you know the story. This man that Jesus said went on a trip, and he got robbed. Highway robbery, right? He got beat up. Everything taken from him. He had nothing left. Now when Jesus told that story, who do you think the people were identifying with? The Jewish people, the expert of law. They were identifying with the man on the trip. Because this is something they would have done, and they would have had that experience. I've lived in places in this world where it's very common to get robbed. I've been robbed and beaten. I've experienced that. A lot of people in this world have. And so the Jews would have understood that experience. They would have identified with that. But then Jesus said, you know, a priest comes by and a Levite. And so they're thinking, okay, here's the heroes. They're gonna help this guy. (laughs) Jesus doesn't tell us why, but they walked right past. They had other priorities. They had other things going on, right? They had selfish interests, and so they just walked by. But for that man who's lying on the road, and if we put ourselves there, what do we want? We just want someone to help us. (laughs) Anyone that can help us. We don't care who it is. Just help us. And then Jesus threw in the kicker. He said, a Samaritan walked by. Now, the Jews would have thought of the Samaritans as less than, they would have judged these people. They would have thought these people could never be loved God, by God, could never be accepted by God. Yet Jesus said it was the Samaritan who stopped by. And what did the Samaritan do? He, he helped the man. He bandaged up his wounds. He took time to carry him on his own donkey. He paid out his own pocket. Wow. Don't you want to live in a place where? People would do that if you were in that place, if you were on the side of the road beat up. I do. (laughs) That's trust. That's beautiful. That's putting the needs of others above ourselves. And, And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And so what Jesus makes possible is he builds trust on the cross so that we can place our faith in him, so that we can be the kind of people that can stop and put our own selfish interests aside in order to bless and help someone else. I want to live in that kind of place. <laughs> and God came to bring life, He came to bless us, He came to give us the kind of life that we all long for, that we all desire. And it's not just about us, it's about all of us, and it's about God's glory. And so the 10 words, the 10 commandments, and what Jesus reminds us is that we're not the center of it all. (laughs) Life isn't just about us. There's something bigger. There's something greater. And he invites us to be part of that story, and it's for our good. Now what's what's so interesting, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to take communion here. What is so interesting is that in Acts it says that the disciples began to preach about Jesus and take the message of Jesus— and then the Holy Spirit came to Philip and he said, go to Samaria. <laughs> go to this place and bring the message of Jesus. And the Samaritans, it said, gladly received the word. They listened. So, so in John 8, where there's a struggle of what, will we li- who will we listen to? Will we listen to God? Will we listen to Jesus or will we not? It says that the Samaritans gladly received the word. They were willing to hear the word. And that's the question for all of us, is will we listen to what God wants to do in us? Why Jesus came? He wants to transform us. He wants to save us, but he wants to transform us. He wants to make us into new kinds of people, people who reflect who God is, people who reflect the goodness and the greatness of God. And so we're going to take communion this morning, and this is the reminder that we can't do this on our own. We need the gift of God's grace. And so as you uh, have your, um, your thing, we have ushers here, and if you didn't get uh, a cup as you came in, I'm going to invite you, the ushers will be standing around. Actually, Gordon, I'm going to need one. Could you bring? I forgot to grab one. Could I get one? Thanks, Gordon. So in Luke 22, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. That word desire is the same word that's used in the Sermon on the Mount about lust. This is an overwhelming passion of God's. (laughs) This is his overwhelming passion, is to give us this gift I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. God's passion is to give you his goodness. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus became that man broken on the side of the road. He identified with us and he offers to take our place to help us. Would you take and eat this in remembrance of him? Verse 20, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. As we go through the Ten Commandments, we are no longer under the old covenant. Jesus has made a new covenant. (laughs) Because none of us have been able to keep the commandments. But he poured out his blood to make it possible for us to become new kinds of people. And it's poured out for you. It's a gift. (laughs) It's a gift of grace. Let's drink and remember the gift of his grace. Oh God, we worship you. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice. We thank you, God, that you're not the kind of God who is selfish. Rather, you're the God who gives yourself because you are truth. And Lord, in this world of full of deception, full of untruth, We find our trust in you so that, God, we can be the kind of people who aren't just pursuing self, but we're pursuing you, and as we pursue you, we're able to pursue others and love others like the Good Samaritan, Lord. We're able to pour out our lives because you gave your life to us. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We worship your name. You are glorious. You are good. You are awesome. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're everything we need, everything we desire. We praise you, Lord.